Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? You guys sound excited. How's everyone doing? Had me worried a little bit. Um, first service, I said good morning to someone said good morning, Hank, and I was startled. So I forgot my name for a second. Um, this this week we're continuing our, our, our series on David. We've entitled this this series after God's own heart: Lessons from the Life of David. Uh, this morning we'll be focusing on the, the the famous battle of David and Goliath. Hi. Um, special thanks to Pastor Linda for setting this up. I was saying when I was reading through the scripture, the first service, I felt like his shield bearer. <laughs> it's like I think I come up to maybe his waist, elbow. I'll give elbow. That's fine. That's a couple more inches. Um, so last week we began our series on David and we talked about how God looks at the heart. And last week we, we, we figured out that, you know, when God is, is giving us this narrative, this story of David, we're really, really blessed because in David we have probably outside of Jesus the most known character in all the Bible. In David, we have someone who has this long epic of a story that keeps coming back time and time again. But in David, what we're able to see is that God is the hero of the story. You know, that's like Old Testament hack 101. You don't got to go to seminary for that, right? God is the hero of the story. will get you through the entire Old Testament. Um, the second part that's really fascinating about David, though, is he's perfectly human. You know, there's nothing that's hidden that David does that doesn't come to light. And some of it is really dark. Some of it is really ugly. But God still loves him. God really loves him. And I think for some of us, that's a, that's a reprieve, right? We're like, man, if God loves David, I'm good, right? And if you think that way, it's probably not the most holy way to think, but it's okay, you know, because David helps us. Um, but last week when we began with God looking at the heart, we're introduced to Yahweh. We said this isn't just the Lord God who's all powerful and up there, but this is a God who wants to be known, who gives you his name, his nickname even. God wants to be known by you. We also were introduced to, to Samuel, who was this mighty prophet who held all this power in Israel, how God came upon him and would give him visions, how he would even speak in, in the mouth of the Lord. And then we met Saul, who we said was a man of the people. Saul, who was loved by the people, who everyone thought, this is our king who's going to lead us out into battle. He looked the part. But the more we got to know Saul, we realized that in being man of the people, he stopped keeping his eyes on God. He stopped relying on God. And he started consolidating and using his, his position for his own kingdom and not God's kingdom. And then we're introduced to David, the young shepherd, the youngest son, the forgotten son, the one who's so important that when Samuel the prophet comes to town, everybody's invited to the praise and worship service except David. And we said that David has done a lot of theological work for us to show us that anything that we've been through in life, if we give it to God, he can use it for glory. David has elevated shepherding for us. This is why his, 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 his descendant years later, the Lord Jesus Christ can say, I am the good shepherd because David did this work. And the work was David simply being like, oh my goodness, how I love my sheep is how God loves me. How I provide for my sheep is how God provides for me. How I protect my sheep is how God protects me. David does a lot of theological work because in his day and age, shepherd was the worst job you can have in the family. If there are seven sons and you get the job all the time that no one wants, it's not a good job. So David is forgotten, but God sees him. What a wonderful reminder to us that wherever we are, whatever we do, our God sees us. And God anoints him. And we said you have to remember David has two anointings. This isn't him being made king over all of Israel. This is just God saying, I choose you. 
It's almost like a baptism service more than anointing of kingship. It's God saying before your family, before your sisters and brothers, before your kin, before the people who know you, I choose you to be my priest. I choose you to be my kingdom, to my, my king to build my kingdom. I choose you to lead the way I want our people to be led. So we see David is, is this chosen one, this kingdom builder, this priest for his people. But more than all, he's reliant on God and he has the heart that God wants. But now we're going to go to a couple chapters later and we're going to learn about David and Goliath. And in this very, very familiar story, we're going to learn and hold on to this truth that our God prepares us for battle. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you're good. We thank you so much that you're true. We thank you so much that you're faithful. We thank you that we can rely on you because of who you are, that we can rely on you because of what you've done, that we can rely on you because of the work in our lives, the work in our church, the work in our community, the work in this world. We can rely on you because you're worthy of all our praise. So God, help us this morning to hold on to the simple truth that in all things, we're more than conquerors for our God fights for us and prepares us for battle. In his name we pray, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. We'll be reading the end of the epic. We'll be reading the end of the story, the actual battle of David and Goliath. Starting at verse 41, we read, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, hi, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed them, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that the hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shararim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I do not know. The king said, find out whose son that young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. 
Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. We're starting this week with the end of the story. Hopefully you at least got my Friday um, um, blog and you read through before. I'm guessing this is a story that you're familiar with. If not, I'm sorry for ruining the end to you. David kills Goliath. Um, But we're starting at the end of the story because we're familiar with David and Goliath. But I think what we forget in reading this story or a story that maybe you heard as a kid and we've held on to, what we forget is how God prepared David for this battle. What we forget in this story, and we we, we make it a, a thing of, you know, childish games, and we tell the kids, look how powerful God is. But it's very, very important you go back to the story and look at it from the mindset of simply this, God prepared David for battle. So much so that Goliath was the easy target. You know, one of the great tragedies we do in this story is we teach this story as it's a great underdog story. It's a great underdog story. We use it in our Carmen parlance. We use it in sports. We use it in media. We use it in technology about an underdog who wins. But we need to reframe this story, we the Christians who know the truth of the story. And there's two ways we reframe this story. The first one is, if God is on your side, are you ever truly an underdog? If God is fighting your battle, are you ever truly an underdog? David went before Goliath, not intimidated, not scared. Why? Because the God of hosts was on his side. The God who pulled them out of Egypt was fighting for him. The God who made the sun stand still was in his ear. The God who led Moses and the people out of the wilderness into the promised land, who had slayed Goliaths and giants before, was the God who's fighting for him. Don't tell me David is an underdog. I'll tell you, you're reading the story all wrong you're reading it all wrong David was never the underdog in this story and the proof that we have that David is not the underdog is all the different ways God prepared him for this battle before it ever happened when we meet David last week we're introduced to this kid who's anointed the youngest son who God says you will lead my people because I love you you love me you have the heart that I need You have the mind, you have the will, you have the skills, the gifts, the abilities. You're the priest they need who can stand before me and stand before the people and bring them together. You're the king that I need who's not going to be like Saul and build it about your authority and power. You're going to be about me and doing my work. You're the kingdom builder I need. You're the one who so loves me that you're always going to be relying on me. You're the chosen one. God says all this to David. And then David goes back to being a shepherd. I missed that for years. You know, we think of him as anointing, and we either think of it as like, well, now he's king of Israel. No, he's not. Or we think of it as like, now he's the chosen one. Life must have been good. David goes back to being a shepherd. He goes back to being forgotten. He goes back to being still the youngest son. He goes back to the job that no one else wants. And the first way that God prepares David for battle is David took those times and and whatever God put on his plate, whatever God told him to focus on now, David used that to be alone with God and God honored it. That's how God prepares him for battle. The very first step is David's humility is to be chosen by God and still be a shepherd. Be forgotten by your family, but knowing that God loves you. David proves to us that time alone with God always bears fruit. Time alone with God always bears fruit. And you know what's fascinating is, you know, David's first audience was probably his sheep. That's where he not only learned to pray, but that's where he probably learned to sing. 
That's where he learned to write. That was his very first audience. So the first way God prepares David for battle is his humility and his willingness to spend time alone with God. God then blesses the gifts that he's given him. And when you give your gifts to God, he'll not only bless those gifts, he'll use those gifts. And here's the even crazier part to me. He'll add to those gifts. I don't think David started off saying, you know what? I'm going to be the greatest songwriter in history of the world. Yeah, I said it's bold, but it's true. Right? I don't think he set out to be, I will sing songs that they're going to sing for thousands of years. Think about that. We call them psalms. He wrote songs we've been singing for generations upon generations, for centuries upon centuries. He's the greatest songwriter ever lived. I don't think he started off saying, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. But God had this gift, and David gave it to him, and God blesses this time alone, and God also blesses him with opportunities to use his gifts. And we, in the story in the Old Testament, you know, we have the way the, the Spirit of God comes upon people in the Old Testament is very different than we're blessed with today. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon you to do a work. The Spirit of God would come upon you to lead for a time. We're blessed we're blessed today that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you give your life to him, the spirit of God doesn't visit you, it lives in you. Forever it lives in you. We're so blessed and we don't even think about that. We take it for granted that the spirit of God lives in us. The Old Testament people who love God only got visits. You get the spirit living in you. And then when the Spirit of God came upon Saul and tried to lead Saul, and Saul was too focused on building his own kingdom, the Spirit of God left Saul. And it said that an evil spirit came upon Saul, and the evil spirit, it wasn't just, you know, oh, he was depressed. No, it was an evil spirit that tormented Saul. And Saul was so tormented that his own servants looked at him and they said, Saul, maybe music will help. One of the things I love about this story of David is this reminder of how blessing music can be how cathartic and healing and therapeutic music can be. And they said, you might be tormented, but there's this little shepherd boy, you know, he sings to his sheep. He actually had a good voice, but he sings to the sheep all the time. Like, you're a little mad right now, but if you just put him in a corner and play his little instrument, I think it'll be good. What I love about this is I heard a song this week I hadn't heard in years, right? There's a song by Eric Clapton, who's another good songwriter. Um, Eric Clapton has a song called Tears in Heaven, and it's about the tragedy of, of him losing his son, I think he was four or five years old, in New York City. And he writes this song, and in this song, I remember when it came out, you know, I, I heard it for the first time in 1992 when I came to America, but I remember when I, he had an unplugged CD, right? It was like the MTV UCD's unplugged acoustic. It was, it was beautiful. It was a good time in MTV's history. Um, but on this MTV unplugged, he had tears in heaven. I remember we were talking about this in middle school, and people were like, isn't it so sad he lost his son? But I remember listening to that, and I was just like, I actually think this song is beautiful and it's healing. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was just like, man, my dad was killed when I was six years old. And, and, and the, the, the question he asked in the song is a question I had been asking, and it was in the deep, in the depths of my soul. And the, the chorus of the song says, would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? And that's a question that I didn't even know was there, but I was asking God about my own father. So when I heard that song, I was just like, that's a healing bomb for me because I want to know if he'll know my name when he sees me in heaven. I love that song. And that's the same thing that's happening to Saul here. He's tormented from the depths of his soul, but God takes the gift of music that he's put in David to help and try to heal Saul. David spends time alone with God. God blesses him. David takes his gifts and gives it to God, and God gives him opportunity to use those gifts. 
That's how he's preparing him for battle, right? The first one is, you spend time alone with me, I will bless it. The second one is, if you have these gifts, I will not only add to it, but I will give you opportunities to use these gifts. And you have to remember, I'm fascinated by David's humility here. So now he's gone from forgotten son to anointed king of Israel. Now he's gotten from nobody really cares who you are, but God sees you. Now he's gotten from playing in front of the sheep to playing in front of the king of all Israel. But he still goes back to the sheep back and forth. He still goes back, right? The next way that, that God prepares David for battle is honoring his obedience. Throughout David's story, you'll see that he's obedient to Jesse, his father. You'll see he's obedient to Saul. But most of all, he's obedient to God. One of the things I love about the brethren in Christ is that when we looked at our history, we looked at our history and said, we're going to recap the history of the brethren in Christ. We came up with this phrase and we said, us following God is simply this, the quest of holiness and obedience. For us, it's not just, you know, we're going to try our best to live like and love like Jesus lived in love, but we're going to be obedient to God. And God honors that. That's how he prepares David for battle. Because David is faithful to whatever God asks of him. And it's a reminder to us, when God asks us to do something, we need to do it. If we know God's calling us to live a certain way, we need to live that certain way. If we're asking if God asks us to honor people, we need to honor people the way he honors people. We need to love people the way he loves people. We need to be obedient to whatever God asks us to do. If you want to be prepared for the battle to come, Spend time with God. Give your gifts to God. Use your gifts for God. But be obedient to God. Because you will not be ready for any battle if you're not willing to listen to his marching orders. Amen? The fourth way that, that God prepares David for battle is God makes David so in love with God that when Goliath or anyone challenges God's resume, David is offended. You know, there's a lot of things that offend us. There's a lot. There's a lot of things that are offend us, and it's good that we're offended because they're terrible things. But what I love about David is when someone questions the character of his God, he's offended. When someone questions the resume of his God and what God has done, David is offended to the point that he's ready to fight. You challenge that my God is good, I'll show you my God is good. You challenge that my God is all-powerful, I'll show you my God's all-powerful. David is offended, not because of something someone says about him, but what they said about his God. How dare you say my God isn't good? How dare you say my God isn't powerful? David is so in love with God that for you to question his God, what his God has done, who his God is, he's offended. The fifth way that God prepares David for battle is God helps David be comfortable in his own skin. Later on in the story, you'll find out that before David fights Goliath, Saul has him come out, and, and Saul makes him put on his armor. And David eschews the armor. He takes it off, and, and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm good. You know, and it's this reminder that I missed for years, but there's this beautiful reminder in here where David seems to be reminding us today that you don't need someone else's armor to fight your battles. God sees you. God knows your story because he helped write it. God knows your skills, gifts, and abilities because he gifted it to you. God sees you. God knows you. God wants you to be you to fight that battle. You don't have to be David. You can dance like David, but you don't have to be David. You can be you. You can sing like David, but you don't have to be David. You can still be you. You can pray like David. You don't have to be David. Why? You can be you because God wants you so comfortable in your skin because he made you. 
He chose you. He gifted you. And he will use you to fight any battle if you're comfortable in your skin before him and give him your story. Give him your history. Give him your skills, your gifts, your abilities. Give him everything you've been through. He will honor that and use you to help somebody else. And the last way that David is prepared for this battle is simply this. David, from the time he was a child and for the rest of his life, simply lived this way. I will always rely on God. That's how he was ready for this battle. I will always rely on God. And that's a beautiful message to us. How do you always rely on God? Whatever God's done, trust it. Whoever God's revealed himself to be to you, trust that. We talked about heart last week. We said the ancients understood heart as almost like a treasure chest. When God helped you get through something, when God healed you and God showed himself in a powerful way, don't just remember that and put it in the back of your mind. No, take it and put it in your heart and store it up. Store it up like your treasure chest because when tomorrow comes, God wants you to open up the treasure chest and remember. This is why time and time again in the Old Testament, God causes people to remember, right? They'll have stones and mementos that they set to help them remember. But God also, it seems almost, he's, 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 he's I don't know if the, this sounds right, but it's almost like he needs to remind the people of his resume. They're like, who are you? He's like, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are you? I'm the God who led you out of Egypt. Who are you? I'm the God who led you out of the wilderness. Who are you? I'm the God who helped you slay giants and gave that land to you like I promised. God wants us to remember. And if you want to rely on God, you have to get better. You have to get better at remembering what he's done for you. You have to get better at holding on to who he is for you. If God is love, Hold on to him as love. If God is mercy, hold on to him as mercy. If God is compassion, if God is healing, if God is all-powerful, if God is yours, hold on to him. Because tomorrow will come. The Goliath will come. But if you're willing to be like David and spend time alone with God, you'll be ready for that battle. If you're willing to take your gifts and say, God, here are my gifts. I give them to you. He'll not only enhance them, but he'll use you to help bring light into the darkness and prepare you for battle. If you're willing to be humble and obedient to what God's called you to do, he'll prepare you for battle. If you're willing to walk in your own skin and say, God, this is my story. I give it to you. God, this is what I've experienced. This is how I see life. I give it to you. God will say, okay, that's who I want to work with. You have your own armor I've given you. Let's be Use that to your blessing and for your, my kingdom come. But if you're willing to just rely on God and say, God, I'm going to trust what you've done. I'm going to trust who you are. I'm going to trust what you've done in my life. I'm going to trust what you did in all the universe. I'm going to trust what you did in the cross, but I'm going to trust your Holy Spirit that's in me. If you're willing to rely on God, you will be prepared for battle. So we do all that work and then we get to Goliath. You see why David was not intimidated? Because all these things were true. Because his whole life so far, God had been preparing him for battle. But Goliath was fascinating, wasn't he? One thing that's helpful for us to remember is that the Philistines were ancient enemies of Israel. This is not a new people group who just sprout up. The Philistines and Israel have been fighting for generations upon generations. In fact, Goliath is believed to be a descendant of some of the first giants, some of the first giants that God slayed to give him the promised land. So the Philistines are not a new people to Israel. It's an ancient enemy. 
The second thing to understand is that Saul, for all his warts, is, is, is really brilliant. You know, I'm not a military guy. I'm not a huge military strategist. But this makes sense to me, right? When Israel came out and they camped and, and, and the Philistines came out and they camped, they both camped on two different hills. And they knew that for this battle, to give up the high ground would be terrible. To give up the high ground would be to give up the war. Because to give up your high ground means you have to go down into the valley avoiding getting picked off by the enemy, and then you have to what? You have to march up their hill. So they both had this impasse, and they both were camp on one side, camp on one side, but they also were very ceremonial people. So then they would gather in the beginning of the day, and they would line up, and I don't know if it was like a giant staring contest, but they would line up on the side, right? And they would just look at each other. That's a little facetious, but it's mostly true. They would line up ceremoniously on the side. And what's fascinating is Goliath, every single day when they did this lineup, he would come out. Now, some people believe Goliath was like nine and a half feet tall. Some people say it's nine, nine. Some people say, well, it's ancient because they, they, they obviously messed it up. He couldn't be that tall, so maybe he's only six, nine. I think he's nine, nine, right? Goliath is this tall, imposing figure. The reason I think he's nine, nine is because his armor itself weighed 125 pounds. By my count, that's like three and a half little children, just in armor, Right? His spearhead, the javelin that he used to throw at people, just the head of the spear was 15 pounds. Some of you work out with 15 pounds. That's on the end of his javelin that he's throwing around like nothing. The other one that's fascinating to me is we sometimes think of David and Goliath as Goliath comes out, he mocks Israel, he mocks God, and, and, and then David shows up. But if you read the text, you'll see that Goliath did this for what? 40 days. For almost a month and a half, every single day he came out and demeaned the name of God of Israel. Every day he came out and says, my God is greater because I'm the champion and you have no one to face me. You're a bunch of cowards. Your God isn't good. My God's all powerful. Every day he came out and taunted them. And one of the craziest reminders, of, of, of wildest reminders of Goliath is simply this. This is how sometimes our giants operate. They might start off facing us down. But if we keep letting them not only be around, but, but to demean who we are and who our God is, our Goliaths tend to take up a little bit of territory, don't they? Because Goliath starts off at the base of his mountain, but after 40 days, if you look through the text, he's starting to walk up to Israel. So he's not just taunting who God is, he's taunting the people that are like, here I am on your base, on your ground, your God is nothing, send someone to fight me. 40 days, he's taunting them. And for 40 days, and so you have to give him a little bit of credit. For 40 days, they're lining up, do the face-to-face -face battle, letting him talk, and then running away. For 40 days. David, on the other hand, is still just a shepherd boy. David is still just taking care of his sheep. His father, you know, they didn't have social media, right? Didn't have computers. His dad had no way of knowing how his sons were doing. So he calls David and he says, David, I need you to take this care package. Take some food to your brothers, but really give me something that tells me how they're doing. So David comes before his father. He's obedient. He takes the food. He goes to the battle lines and there's the head of, you know, food or something. He drops off the food. And when David arrives, it happens to be time for the morning standoff. So you have to understand that everyone who's in this battle has heard Goliath for now 41 days. But the first day that David hears it, he's so offended that he just can't hold it in. He's like, are you kidding me? You're talking about my God? Do you know who my God is? You guys are all listening. And, and, and then at first the other guys are like, hey, I mean, this young kid's crazy, but we need to go with this. You know, like, hey, hey, I mean, the king has promised his daughter. 
you know, he's promised, like, no more taxes, and you'll be part of the king's court. I mean, if you really want to fight him, I mean, this is the care package you get. And what's fascinating to me about David is he cares less about the care package, and he's more about, no, 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 no. Do you hear what he's saying about our God? Do you hear how he's challenging who God is? Do you hear how he's challenging our God's resume and the work that he's done? And then his brother Eliab, the older son. Remember we talked about Eliab. He's the first one who came forth, Samuel. And Samuel saw him and be like, oh my gosh, he's tall. He's the first son. He carries all this authority. Surely he's the one. But Eliab has something that some psychologists in the room might call projection. You know, Eliab, who, who is the oldest son, he, he probably rules the Jesse's house, really, because the eldest son would tend to inherit everything, and then he would decide how everyone else gets it. So not only was Eliab, you know, given this, this, this throne of authority in the family, everybody else had to be nice to him. Why? Because when dad died, he decides what you get. So Eliab not only has power, he has privilege. But in this, we see his true heart. So David comes and David says, Eliab, you hear what they're saying about God? You hear what this Philistine, this Philistine, these people we've been trying to kill off for generations, you hear what he's saying? And Eliab says, David, you're so cruel, you're so wicked, you just want to come to see the bells and whistles, you just want to come and see the fight. What about the sheep, David? What about the sheep? Eliab, who hadn't cared about sheep since the second son was born. Eliab, who's all about, like, leading the family and being the first in battle and being there. Now, of all the things to accuse David of, is like, David, how dare you forget the sheep that I don't really care about? What about the sheep, David? And David, what I love about David in this is that, you know, we got to choose who we, we got to choose fighting our battles, right? David knew who Goliath was. And he wasn't going to waste his time fighting his own kin. You know, so David's like, okay, cool, but we need to figure out Goliath. He doesn't waste his time, his energy, and his resources arguing with his older brother about sheep. He goes back and he says, you know, what are we going to do about Goliath? And word gets to Saul. Now, I don't know if it's puberty, to be honest, right? Like, David has now been going back and forth playing music for Saul, but it's multiple times in the past that Saul doesn't even recognize who he is. So I don't know if this is like, it's been a couple months, so now he has facial hair. Or maybe his voice is going up and down. But for some reason, Saul just doesn't recognize who David is. So David comes before him, and David hears Goliath, you know, mouthing off. And, and he, he goes before Saul, and Saul says, hey, David, um, I mean, I like your honor. I like that you're willing to take on this battle. That's good. That's good. But Goliath's been fighting since he was young. Like, Goliath is this well-trained warrior. Like, like, are you sure you want to do this? And David is not even worried about Goliath. He's worried about the name of the Lord not being lifted up. He's worried about God being dishonored. He's worried about the people not believing. And the other thing you have to remember is Israel's at a time of turmoil now. Samuel was the great leader. This is after the era of the judges. Samuel had consolidated all the power. They tried to give it to Saul. It didn't work out. Everybody knew God had left Saul. The people are all in turmoil. So this isn't just a political crisis. This is a faith crisis. So when Goliath is coming out for 40 days taunting your God, the people are now thinking, is God really there? Does God really hear us? Does God really care? So Saul says, David, are you sure he's been fighting for a long time? And David says, yeah, I'm sure. I'm ready for this battle. And the best part of the thing, the best thing that King Saul does in this is he lets David fight. It's terrible, right, as the king of Israel. Remember one of the reasons they wanted a king was what? So you could lead us into battle, right? One of the reasons that Saul was anointed king was because he was tall. 
So if anyone's going to fight Goliath, it's going to be the tallest Israelite, right? So he, he, he basically not only doesn't do what he's tasked with doing for the people, he doesn't do what God asked him to do, but this little kid comes before him. He goes, you know, what? that's a great idea. You just do it. Then he puts his armor on David. And David, you can imagine, almost wearing his dad's clothes, right? He goes in, he's like, no, this isn't for me. And David takes off the armor, again, reminding us that God wants us to be comfortable in our own skin so that we can fight the battles that we wage based on our skills, our gifts, our abilities, based on our histories. You don't need Saul's armor. And David shakes off the armor. And I love that he's like, I'm good. He gets his shepherd's stick. He gets his sling. And he goes down into the valley. And what's fascinating here is Goliath comes before him. And Goliath sees David, and Goliath has his shield bearer. And for a while as a kid, I struggled with this, because I'm like, this guy's supposed to be really bad. You know, he's supposed to be like the greatest warrior. He's nine foot nine. He's really skilled in hand-to-hand combat. Why does he need a shield bearer? You know, I mean, I get that, like, people might shoot arrows at him, but if the shield bearer is my height, there's not too much I can protect, right? Like, if they're shooting arrows, and I'm like, I got you, like... I'm not really protecting much. So as a kid, I'm just like, well, that's weird. Like, why does he have shield bearer? Like, it doesn't make sense. Then I'm like, well, maybe he's strong enough to just pick up the shield bearer and use him as a human shield, you know? So maybe. But as I got older and I started reading some more, there's some people who are just like, well, here's the thing. If Goliath is really nine foot nine, something that science has proven over generations now is that really, really tall people who have giantism also struggle with seeing. And I went back and I was like, ooh, I don't know if that's true, but I like that theory better than picking up the shield bearer. And as I started reading through the text, and you realize there's this one line. David picked up what? One stick, one sling, and five stones, right? That's pretty set in stone. But when Goliath sees him, what does Goliath say? Do you come at me with sticks? So maybe the shield bearer isn't there to protect Goliath. Maybe the shield bearer to say, I know you see two of them, but the one on the right. Right? Like, maybe he's there to help him be like, I know there's two of them, but really it's the other one. Like, this one closer to me, Goliath. And in my head, that makes more sense, because I'm like, there's no way this shield bearer is fighting with Goliath, right? Like, he's not going to be like, let me pick you up and be, yeah. So maybe that's the case. The other thing about Goliath that's fascinating here is that he curses David to his face. He curses him, and he's trying to intimidate him. He's just like, hey, man, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the animals of the field. And what I love about David is when it came to Saul, David gave Saul the resume, right? David's like, Saul, I got this. I killed lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. Maybe not the tigers, but definitely the lions and bears, right? But when it comes to Goliath, when he's standing face to face with Goliath, David's not worried about his resume. What does he say? The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. With Saul, he felt like I got to prove myself and show that I'm ready for the battle. But in the heat of the battle, he only holds on to God and says, you can come at me with sword, but I come in the name of the Lord and the battle already belongs to him. So David is ready for battle. And another thing I missed in the story for years, I just had it in my head that Goliath is there. David is sitting there, and he's slinging, he's slinging, he's slinging. But Goliath actually takes a step closer to David. He's walking towards David, and in the text, David does what? He runs towards Goliath. This is not a boy who's intimidated. 
And the more when you think about it, you realize that not only has God prepared David for Goliath, this is actually the easiest battle David will have in his life. See, I'm not a hunter. I just eat meat because it's delicious. If you don't eat meat, I still love you. It's fine. You know, like meat is good. You know, I'm not a hunter, but I would imagine I know a little bit about hunting. I know this much. It's much easier to hit a slow, a big, a standing target than it is to hit a fox, than it is to hit a lion, than it is to hit a bear. Because the bears might have the size of Goliath, but they're faster than Goliath. The lions might be smaller than Goliath, but they're also fast too. If you know anything about hunting, you realize that if David has this slingshot, David is used to hitting moving targets. David is used to hitting fast targets. David is used to holding targets that can be upon him much quicker than Goliath ever will be. But when it comes to Goliath, David has this big target right in front of him. So I think he's running towards Goliath, not because he's scared, but because he's excited. He's like, oh, this is going to be good. Look at that big target. Right? And David runs towards Goliath, and he hits him in the head with the, and, and people believe that that rock could have been 100 miles an hour. So not only do you have a big target, you have an impact that's even made shorter by David running towards him. Goliath falls down, and David says, I love this. David, doesn't that mean about David being perfectly human, right? He has this great diatribe. He has this great line where he's like, and Goliath is not struck down by the sword, which is good. Right? God won the battle. But just in case, David grabs his sword and cuts off his head. Right? Just to make sure. Israel then see the Philistine hero fall. For the first time, they're, they're emboldened. They, they leave the high ground. They go into the valley. They storm up and they chase out the Philistines. But David does something that's fascinating to me. And at first as a kid, I'm like, oh, this is a little weird. But he keeps Goliath's sword. And he keeps some of his weapons. And as a kid, I always thought about, why is he doing that? But David's reminding us what God always wanted the people to be reminded of. Remember what God has done for you. David takes those things and he puts it back in his tent. And he has this memento of like, that day I fought Goliath, God was with me. Look at his sword. His sword is here and he's not. His weapons are here and he's not. God is so good, he carried me through. So when we think about David and Goliath, let us stop this narrative that it's an underdog story. Why? Because David had the God of the universe fighting for him and on his side. Let us remember that David, this was the easiest fight he ever had because Goliath was slow, he was dumb, he was big, and he was just a target. But let us also remember that this is a story of God doing the work way before the battle. And this morning, there's a lot of us in here who are fighting our Goliaths. There's a lot of us in here who fight the Goliath of fear, who fight the Goliath of worry, who fight the Goliath of unknown, who fight the Goliath of addiction, who fight the Goliath of of brokenness, who fight the Goliath of our past history and what's been done to us and what we haven't done. There's a lot of us in here who are fighting Goliaths this morning. But for all of us, Let it be known this day that God is going to prepare us for battle, that God is going to prepare you to slay Goliath, that God doesn't desire for Goliath to rule upon you and to torment you. You can slay the giant. You can slay fear. You can slay worry. You can conquer that addiction. And it's not because, you know, it's just a snap of the finger either. There's steps on the way. And if we go back to the steps that God used on David, I think we can start there. 
The first way that God's going to help you slay your Goliath is simply this. Spend time alone with God. For a lot of us, you know, we grew up hearing we need to spend time with God. That's how you be a good Christian or or that's how you show you're faithful. You know what David reminds us? Spend time alone with God so God can grow you and mold you into who he wants you to be. Spend time alone with God so God can say, this is who you are. This is who I am. I love you. I will groom you because God will grow you. And if you spend that time alone with God, he'll grow you into who he desires you to be so that when the Goliath comes, you'll be ready. The second way that God's going to prepare you for battle is not only will God grow you and groom you, God will gift you opportunity to use your gifts. God will gift you opportunity to use your gifts. It's fascinating by our God that with David, God simply says, you know what, if you serve me and use your gifts, I will honor that. And that's another way God prepares you for battle because whatever you've been through, if you're using the gifts God's given you, he will honor that, he will bless that, he will use that to help other people. But when Goliath comes, you'll be able to have the gifts ready for the war. The third way that God prepares us to slay Goliath is simply this, obedience. We have got to get back to being people who are defined by trying to live in love like Jesus, but trying to be obedient to what God asks us to do. If God asks you to do something, do it. If God calls you to live and to follow him, follow him and him alone. It's not just about all the wisdom you can get. It's not about all the influences that are out there. Whatever God's asked you to do as you understand it, do it. Let your life, let your faith, let your walk with God be defined by your obedience to God. Fourth way God can prepare you for battle is simply this. Be loyal to God. Let God be your Lord. Let God be your Savior. Let God be your number one. Be loyal to God above all things. Because if you're obedient to God and you're loyal to God, you will be ready for that battle. Last two ways are my favorite ones. Let God use you and your own armor. Whatever skills, gifts, and abilities you have, let God use that. Whatever story you got that God's been writing, let God use that. Just give it to him and say, God, this is who I am. This is what I have. How can I use it to slay this Goliath? And God will say, welcome, my daughter. Welcome, my son. I'm happy that you're comfortable in your own skin. I'm happy that you see how I've been moving, how I've been working. Now let's go slay this Goliath together. And the last way God prepares us for battle is simply this. We need to get better at trusting God and his resume. We need to get better at remembering what God's done for us. And I'm not just talking about the universal saving work of Jesus dying on the cross. Hold on to that too. But there's some of us in here who know that God's the God who heals. There's some of us in here who know that God is the God who parents. There's some of us in here who know that God is the God who loves. We know that God is the God who accepts. We know that God is the God who forgives. We know that God is the God who's merciful. God is the God who's compassionate. Whatever God's revealed himself to be for you, let him be that for you. Because I'm telling you, if you trust God and his resume, what he's done, if you trust God and his character, who he is, there is no Goliath. There is no Goliath. There is no Goliath that you cannot slay in Jesus' name. This morning, we're going to wrap up our service. Um, I'm taking communion. As the deacons get ready and, and go to the back, we'll be having deacons in the seats. Pastor Linda will be helping me. But before we take communion this morning, I just want to hit this simple reminder to us. David 
was ready for battle and fully trusted God for the battle. With communion, we celebrate the battle's been defeated. We celebrate Jesus already done the work. But there's Goliaths that we're facing here this morning. And before you come to the table, I want to invite you to take some time, even right now, to say, God, this is the Goliath in my life. Before I enter and come to your table this morning, I want you to help me slay this Goliath. Let's go to the table together.